0: hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of talk more talk a solo beatles video cast and you know two weeks just go by so quickly don't they and it's just you know great to hang out with uh, my friends here talk solo beatles sometimes beatles and get to hang out with all of you at home listening to us or watching us uh, hopefully on the big screen or laptop the phone whatever it is you guys watch us you know there on our youtube channel and, and thank you we really appreciate you guys being there and taking the time and watching us now and or later on. So hello, I'm Tom Hanyati. I am uh, one of the four co-hosts of this show and you may also know me from my other show, Two Legs, a Paul McCartney podcast where I, I host um, with um, my good friend, Annie Nichols and we talk all things solo McCartney. On today's show, it's it's a McCartney topic. We're going to be discussing McCartney as a producer and uh, his success as a producer. Uh, him working with other producers, co-producing. Does he is he better off? producing himself or or just so many different ways we could take this conversation and I can't wait to uh, get get um, get the thoughts of my, of my three wonderful colleagues here and I'm going to introduce them now and and first you know we've always got to start with the queen we you know we we, we bow down and we we respect and uh, this this you know the queen is just It's just great. I mean, you know her from the songs we were singing, the guided tours of the Beatles' lesser known tracks, and you also know her as the co-editor with our good friend Ken Womack, right? We don't want to forget him, and he also, or uh, she also worked on this with uh, Fandom and the Beatles, and it's the one and only wonderful Kittle Tool. Kits, how are we doing? I'm doing great. And, uh, Joe and Ken, I was
2: really impressed. You bowed in, like in tandem. I mean, wow. That was, that was practicing. really, it's, yeah, that was impressive. So you could see the dust on my cat. Right. It's just, you know. <laughs> that, was, that was very good. So, uh, so, so glad to be
0: with you guys and so glad to be with you all out there. Mm. Next up is um, is Joe Mayo, and you know him as Mean Mr. Mayo on his YouTube channel. His wonderful YouTube channel that just uh, you know the great content just keeps on coming. Whether it's rants, it's 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 uh, vinyl finds, it's it's vinyl videos, and it's just a great time watching uh, and Joe. Beatles and solo and and Beatles and solo. Absolutely, <laughs> you know unboxings of Beatles and solo stuff. It's just you know a smorgasbord of of Beatles stuff, and. <laughs> <laughs> and joe we got the catering yes He's into catering. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <right. laughs> joe my friend how are you doing well good to see you tom good to see you kit and ken mm-hmm. ready for another good chew. you know your shoe <laughs> and if you're a beetle fan a solo beetle fan it's just Hard not to know our last uh, our last um, our host here and because he's been uh, on the radio for for almost 40 years he's been podcasting since I think what 2012 or even earlier that was
1: 2000. 2009
0: 2009 yeah 2009 yeah, wow. and um you know between those two and then now his youtube channel he is everywhere and ken michaels you just you know you keep on doing great stuff your shows are wonderful and I uh, just can't get enough of of the the stuff that you're bringing us on a weekly basis you know i mean well you got your every little thing that's weekly right you got good your, enough, good good enough. yeah good enough. exactly <laughs> <laughs> and you're giving us new content on your on your youtube channels ken michaels radio and uh ken it's it's good to have you back and how you doing
1: i'm doing great and uh thank you for all those uh complimentary words <laughs> there uh tom and yeah lately i'm here there and everywhere yes you are there <laughs> you go
0: <laughs> perfect <laughs> that should be a name of a new a youtube channel for you right there you can hear yep, there and might everywhere. be yeah might <laughs> be. <laughs> the, the 20th project ken has going is <laughs> <laughs>
1: I got to slow down one of these right, days. Yes. Yes. Slow
0: down. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> as I said, tonight we're talking about Paul McCartney as a producer, and you guys can join the conversation soon, as soon as we get going with that. But first, Ken Michaels, he has, uh, he has the news with us, and I uh, can't wait to see what he's got for us tonight.
1: Well, quite a lot has accumulated in the last two weeks, as you would expect. <laughs> right. uh, first of all, in addition to the news that Paul McCartney will be touring the United States for roughly six weeks from April 28th to June 16th comes word that Paul will indeed be headlining the Glastonbury festival on June 25th. Paul is said to be performing on the Saturday nights of the weekend festival following sets from Liam Gallagher and Haim. And uh, this will hit after Paul turns 80 on mm. June the 18th. Wow. And he will in fact be the oldest artist ever, to headline the festival. Paul has added another show to his US tour and it was a second date at Fenway Park in Boston. That's for June the 8th. There was a pre-sale for both American Express and members of Paul's newsletter, paulmccarney.com and tickets went on sale to the general public last Friday on March the 4th. A few days ago, you might've seen that Paul tweeted this message, remembering playing for our friends in Ukraine in Independence Square in 2008, and thinking of them in these difficult times, we send our love and support. And there was a photo of Paul on stage there uh, with the, the the Ukraine flag. Really nice uh, gesture on the part of Paul. An update on Record Store Day yes. release. It changes with yes. every show here. Just want yeah. you to know that. <laughs> well, About this time I'm glad it's
0: changed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Change for the better.
0: Right. Yep. Okay.
1: That uh, release of Women and Wives. This is a 12-inch, and it, it's coming out on Paul's birthday, June the 18th. Um, it has been named their inaugural song of the year uh, for Record Store Day. One side has Paul's original version; the other is from Saint Vincent from the Reimagine release. And only 3,000 copies will be made worldwide. Actual, actually, Record Store. Day is April 23rd but this is a special release for Paul's birthday Um, also The Beatles 1 has been remastered for Spatial Audio Mm. by Giles Martin who said in an interview last year that he was a fan of the immersive 360 degree sound technology launched in 2021 by Apple Music, as well as the Dolby Atmos it was built on. He said he originally intended to remaster the Sgt. Pepper album, but has since worked on the one compilation released in the year 2000. That's when one came out. He added records don't get old, we get old. You get older, (laughs) records stay the same age as it was on the day of recording. Spatial audio works to make music more engaging and accessible on the latest tech platforms. He says you could be with the band with Dolby Atmos. From what I understand, this is really just for streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music. I don't know how I missed out on this. (laughs) I I should have said this in our last show, but um, Eddie Vedder, just released a new solo album from him it's called earthling in which ringo plays drums on one track called mrs mills mrs mills refers to both the piano player who made recordings in the 1960s and 70s putting out records uh that were sing-along and party tunes but there was a piano that she used frequently when she recorded abbey road studios that they named the mrs mills piano hmm. this was a 1905 steinway vertigran piano that had an out of tune honky tonk sound this piano was in use for over 50 years at abbey road studios and paul mccartney played uh that piano on the beatles recording of lady madonna eddie appeared on the podcast show Smartless recently and said that paul tried to buy it from abbey road and they wouldn't let him hmm. they tried to capture that sound of this piano on this new recording from eddie called mrs mills it's very beatlesque and uh ringo has been on a tear lately uh drumming on one track only (laughs) for upcoming artists like colin hay a tribute album to uh johnny winter and the new album from ray wiley hubbard one track ringo Hmm. so we call him The very much awaited McCartney Legacy Volume 1 book from Alan Cohen and Adrian Sinclair is now listed on Amazon as having a November 8th release date, and it is now available for pre-order. I know there's a listener that was inquiring about Owen Lin's forthcoming book, George Harrison in the 70s. I've been reporting the release date for the book as March 24th, but Amazon says it's May 27th. So I wrote to Owen, and he says he believes the March 24th date is for the UK and Europe. Not sure if May 27th Mm. is for the U.S.
4: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: All right. A new book is expected out fairly soon. It's called The Beatles on the Charts by Michael A. Ventrella. It's described as a countdown of the Beatles charting albums and singles, examining their hits, misses, successes, and failures. Both Beatles albums and their solo careers are examined in this book. Sure, you didn't write that book? (laughs) (laughs) I don't
3: have to there. write it it's all up here exactly... <laughs> ain't no use going over what you already know that's true <laughs> <laughs> thank you Joe
1: more Honeymooners references oh over. man <laughs> um, Mojo Magazine has a new deluxe issue out called Introducing the, Introducing the Beatles Essentials described as an indispensable guide to navigating the Beatles albums, rarities, live sets, mixes, remasters, and more. And it's currently on sale. With hmm. special thanks to one of our listeners, Mark Zutkoff. We learned that Andrew Dixon has reported on his YouTube channel that a Paul McCartney rarity was just released on CD for the first time. It's for the extended version of Paul's 1987 single in the UK for Once Upon a Long Ago. And that's a song that was never released in the US but it did make the top 10 singles charts in the UK. In addition to the regular single version, there were a few remixes called the long version, which really only ran maybe 30 seconds longer than the normal single. Mm -hmm. A week later, there was a 12-inch version release called the extended version, which ran for almost six minutes. Up until now, it only existed on vinyl. It's now on a compilation called, now that's what I call 12-inch, 80s (laughs) 80s <laughs> remixed and that's well, a four C D compilation. I'm gonna so have to watch that out. Uh, yeah. Thank you. And, uh, and he's like one of
2: my song. and he's one of my star students in my classes. So ah. Hey Mike. <laughs> oh Mark,
3: Mark, yeah. <laughs> or Mark,
2: excuse me, yeah. my goodness.
3: <laughs> that, <laughs> that song should have been, even though it was a couple of years earlier, it should have should have been on Flowers in the Dirt, in my feeling my feeling, even yeah. though it was a little older. With the, mm-hmm. you know song. if not a single
0: i mean you look at songs like you know the 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 karate kid theme you know from peter satera i mean i don't really see much difference in you know songs like that to you know once upon a long ago and in, in why that song like that couldn't have been released here in the states you know it, it's just so odd. i mean ballads are big business you
1: know
4: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. some you things
1: know. make no sense at yes, all i don't exactly. understand it right Um, We also thank one of our listeners named Ralph, (laughs) Um, I don't know his full name, who says, and this was also on Paul's own website, by the way, Paul will be playing as Hoffner Bass on an upcoming song by the Umoza Music Project. This is an African band from Malawi. Paul plays on the title track called Home. The album will be coming out May 6th on CD, vinyl, and digitally. (laughs) with two limited edition 7-inch and 10-inch vinyl singles of the song with exclusive remixes. More for you to buy there, Tom. Yeah, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Paul recorded his bass part during lockdown at his home studio. This album features singers recorded on the banks of Lake Malawi, collaborating with uh, over a dozen UK musicians despite being uh, with lockdowns in both countries. Mm. All right, just a few more news items here. Danny Harrison posted online that he'll be performing for a Ravi Shankar centenary celebrating uh, Ravi's 100th birthday at the Royal Festival Hall, South Bank Center, on May the 3rd. Danny will be singing and playing Prabhuji from the Chance of India album with his, as he put it, sitar hero and sister, Anushka, <laughs> Anushka Shankar, and her orchestra and Danny will also be performing alongside the masters as he puts it Nitin Sonny and John McLaughlin hmm. and this show is sold out wow. now something really important that I've only discovered in the last couple of days for a while I've been reporting about this tour called it was 50 years ago today this is a tour that just started March the 1st with a super group consisting of Denny Lane, Joey Mullen, Todd Rundgren, Christopher Cross, and Jason Chef. I did manage by the way to catch the first show at the Wilmont Theater in Montclair, New Jersey. But at the moment, the tour is being postponed and rescheduled because an individual on the band's team tested positive for COVID. Todd Rundgren says that all tickets will be honored at the rescheduled shows. There are four shows that are now being rescheduled. Uh, There's one that was supposed to happen tonight in Red Bank, New Jersey. That's now rescheduled for June the 20th. Tomorrow's show for Annapolis, Maryland is rescheduled for June 21st. Wednesday night show in Medford, Massachusetts. There's no rescheduled date as of this moment. And this Thursday night show in Derry, New Hampshire is rescheduled for June the 16th so they're gonna you know try to keep this thing going with this tour but um they're taking every precaution here
0: yeah
1: you know a wise move to. and uh
0: yeah. yeah you know i'm just by sab- the way oh, go okay. ahead. no i'm just saying i'm just disappointed that shows like these don't get out to the west coast very often i you know i mean if it were, i would love to attend that show but i'm not gonna you know pay the three hundred three four hundred dollars to fly to the east coast you know to see it but um yeah it's just disappointing that you know acts like that don't you know or shows like that don't get out to this side of town
1: gotta move why they don't schedule Uh,
0: well yeah (laughs) exactly yeah yeah gotta move you know
1: maybe they think the demand is stronger on the east coast i don't know
0: maybe yeah
1: but it really was a fun show Mm. And uh, I did catch the one from three years ago before COVID. that mm. did the same thing for the White Album. Right. And it's fun to see these performers together um, doing their own hits. They each get two songs a piece of their own hits. Mm. And then the rest of the show is almost, in this case, everything from Rubber Soul and Revolver. Mm. And, wow. um, you know, the only thing that, that I would ever be critical of these shows about is the fact that you've got such a great band in these musicians. I would have liked to have seen this band on stage throughout the whole show. Mm. But what they do is they have a backup band that rehearses all the songs. It's a ready-made band. Mm. And um, so you most of the show is one or two members of the superstar lineup on stage
2: ah, with the backup band. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought all they were right. all playing together. Okay.
1: No, in the very beginning, in the very end, and in the middle. OK, come on. Mm. But usually there's so much talent between yeah. all these superstars. Um, you do need a drummer with this lineup, yeah. But um, the backup band is is they're great musicians too. And two of them are from Todd's band. Mm. So um, yeah, but the, the performances are wonderful. A big highlight for me, I gotta tell you, Joey Molland mm. does baby blue on stage with Todd Rundgren, who produced well, the produced
0: album. it. Yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> so, you
1: know, it's a nice touch because uh, Joey was on the White Album tour a few years ago right. and he did Baby Blue and Todd wasn't on stage for that. From what I recall. So, um, yeah, some nice surprise in there. Usually Todd gets to do the Lennon songs. Christopher Cross does mainly McCartney songs. Mm-hmm. And with with Denny and Joey, it's a mixture of, you know, some George, some John Denny Lane didn't know where man. Joey Malin, did Dr. Robert? You know, it's the only probably situation where you're going to hear that. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. From any of these people, so it's a really cool idea, and it's great to see all these people on stage. Although for me, I wish that they were all together throughout the whole show. Right. So,
0: but I would highly recommend seeing this anyway. Right. So, Mm -hmm. can we assume that Denny did go now and one other track?
1: Going now and ban on the run.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Right. When, whenever I see Denny in concert and whenever he comes to my area, I always try to catch his shows. He always does Ben on the run. Right. Doesn't matter that Paul sang lead on it or not. Mm. And I did have a guy behind me yelling out for time to hide. Nice. <laughs> ah! I don't nice. know if Denny heard it. But, right. You know, yeah. There are fans out there that want to hear that stuff. And mm-hmm. Denny, when he tours solo, he does it. Yes. He does yeah. a lot of his wing yeah. stuff that yeah. he wrote or sang lead to. Mm-hmm. So a few more things, some reminders that the Beatles and <clears throat> India documentary is running right now on BritBox through, so I'm told, 2026. Uh, remember, you can catch an interview that we did on things we said today with the co-director, Pete Compton, on this documentary, one of our last shows. And the Fest for Beatles fans is coming closer and closer. It's, it's getting closer. Us. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> this was all a setup. You know. um, <laughs> April 1st through the 3rd. You need more information, just go to thefest.com. It's at Hyatt Regency on the Hudson, Jersey City. And uh, I know that we're going to be there. We just haven't been told. I mean, we'll, we'll be there probably throughout most of the weekend. I'm, ske- yeah. I'm scheduled to show up Saturday and Sunday, yeah. but we're trying to get a panel together. We just don't know which day. We will know. We should know by our next show
0: here. So stay tuned for that. Hmm. And that's it for the news. Wow, Cool. Thank you, Ken. You know, we're going back to that record store day release with women and wives. It, it kind of worries me just a touch that they had to go and call this like the first or the inaugural, you know, song of the year for record store day, because this, this, this didn't need any more attention or didn't need any help to sell Uh, you know, in my opinion. So I I just kind of worry that, you know, some McCartney or Beatle fans won't get a chance to get this because of the record store. People might get in there and, and grab it too because of this special, you know, song of the year, you know, so there's collectors out there that that will want to get this, I, w- I would imagine. So, I'm, you know, I'm just hoping that, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm hoping that we'll people...
3: get ours. Don't worry, but hook up. By well,
0: I'm not worried. <laughs> <laughs> and other people, but, hey, news. Yeah. Lose. Well, yep. yeah, that's true. But, you know, it I'm didn't... glad it's I'm glad it's song of the uh, yeah. record. Store yeah, Day but it didn't need the extra added attention, I don't think.
3: No, well, maybe it's just being done because help. Paul's yeah. about to turn 80. <laughs> well,
0: you maybe, know? Give a little I, I, attention yeah, to him. Yeah. And that's
3: yeah. also a record store day, right? I mean, June 18th is not just Paul's birthday, it's a right. record store day, too. Is right. it? I don't they know. Do okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. maybe. We'll see. Right. Sure. Yeah. so
1: two see. reasons to release it that yeah. day i think
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyways but like i said earlier we're going to be talking about mccartney as a producer a co-producer being someone being produced uh by someone else and in the in the, the his successes and and, and uh, non-successes with whether or not he's you know a producer whether or not he should produce himself you know you know does he trust his instincts anymore you know just you know kind of get a feel of our our thoughts on on this topic and i want to start with you know the early days of him you know being a Beatle and you know working with someone like george martin who was probably you know the ideal person for these four you know and i know a lot about other producers from that point in time but you know what The but what we've learned from like you know from ken womack and his book and and all the other you know the anthology and stuff like that is just george martin just seemed like the perfect person to nurture those four or specifically john paul and george into becoming successful successful producers themselves i mean it just seemed like they learned a lot they were you know george was willing to teach them and guide them and, and stuff like that so, so, Ken, what are your thoughts on, on, on that?
1: Exactly what you just said. I mean, mm-hmm. if you actually listen to especially um, the early solo records of the Beatles, they were produced really well, mm-hmm. whether they were co-productions with someone like Phil Spector or whether it was Paul completely by himself. You know, they're well-produced songs. They learn from George Martin. They all learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they became experts. You know, in that field, they benefited from that whole education from from the Beatle years. Definitely. Um, I think that their instincts were were, in my opinion, close to perfect, (laughs) because I I really do. I really do like the way their records were produced on their own. Mm. And many of them were produced completely on their own. You know,
0: right. Right. Absolutely. Joe, your thoughts.
3: Well, George Martin is the fifth Beatle. (laughs) Uh, As far as not, you know, I mean, I'm not the only one to say that, but, you know, there's always that little joke. Who's the fifth Beatle? Is it uh, Marie Decay? Is it Pete Best? You know, Billy Preston at times was was the fifth Beatle. And so but uh, George Martin, I mean, uh, uh, in the studio uh, with his expertise and his suggestions and his ability to make reality out of something that they would just come up with as an idea, you know. All right, that's what I think is the to be able to translate that, whatever whether John wanted to sound like some uh, some uh, monk on a mountaintop or something, on right. tomorrow never knows right. or uh, the fairgrounds of being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, right. uh, the radio King Lear coming on, I am the walrus, yeah, a, a genius, you know, and. Uh, The matching was meant to be. I mean, it was made in heaven. Uh, The Beatles learned everything uh, through George Martin, and George Martin got a little bit of uh, help from them and more Mm. on the rock and roll side of things maybe, you know? So, oh, it was perfect, perfect pairing.
0: Yeah, you know, you you see times where you'll see, you know, George and Paul in in the picture, and it looks like they're in depth in a conversation about, you know, producing and, and, you know, what instruments they were going to use. And it always seemed like Paul, even though, you know, John and George, they were involved a lot too, you know, especially Paul, Paul was eager to learn. Paul just, it would just seem like he was always eager to get the the next different instrument or the next experimental piece, even though John as well, you know, I just don't think don't, don't forget yesterday, either. I mean, yeah, uh, you, know, exactly. right? you know, right, you uh, know,
3: I think jo- George Martin said that, you know, strings it would be good for this it's not, right. you know, not really a right. typical Beatles song and right. each strings instead of guitars, really. Yeah, exactly Kit? Hmm.
4: Yeah,
2: I mean it, I was going to say a, a lot of what Joe just said that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that you know, George uh, you know, really was able to uh, to execute what you know the Beatles you know a a certain sound they wanted but you know weren't able to describe exactly you know what they wanted and George was able to translate that into reality but I think that is important uh you, you bring up yesterday I think that is important to note that um you know I think sometimes George Martin you know can have this reputation of you know he was this cl- you know had this classical background and, and you know and, and uh that uh, the Beatles were all you know rock and roll they were the experimental ones mm. but uh and certainly George did have the classical background but he would push the Beatles right. out of their comfort zone a lot of times because you know as you just mentioned with yesterday um that originally they were just going to record it as you know with with guitars and drums and all but uh george uh, martin was the one who said you know this really you know this really needs to be uh needs strings. and Mm -hmm. and paul resisted it uh, initially (laughs) and said Mm -hmm. you know come on we're a rock band i mean we, we don't you know we don't want that classical stuff and george you know finally convinced him no this is this is the kind of song that needs that kind of touch. And of course, he was right. Um, and of course, the the arrangements he did for Eleanor Rigby uh, were, were yeah. stunning. Um, and I, I, so I think it was kind of a, a two-way street, you know, that I think, of course, the Beatles pushed boundaries in many ways, but I think George also pushed boundaries um, in terms of what you could, what was considered then typical pop music. So, um, you know, so I think it was both ways, but I think, you know, in, in some ways, I, I, I definitely think, you know, I'm sure you could say George taught them the basics of production, but I think he also taught them to, you know, go outside their comfort zones, think about other things you could introduce into the production like classical elements um you know and and other using other instrumentation they may not have thought of Mm -hmm. um and and i mean the the instincts were already there i mean obviously you know they were eager students and Mm -hmm. were already wanting to break some rules but If they didn't have George there, who was also willing to do it, but also say, but, you know, you might want to also consider bringing in some classical elements. Blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. I don't know, you know, if if they would have become the producers they would go on to be in their solo years.
3: Right. Should know, only... I aside from classical? Just imagine like even George's suggestion to speed up, please, please me. Right. Right. That was, you know, mm. that was just basic. Make this so faster. and You got to hit. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Plus, um,
1: there were a few times when he wanted the chorus to start the song. Right. Like she loves you or can't find me love. But I was also going to mention not only did he have that background George Martin in classical music, but from all the comedy records that he produced. Yes which Mm. which made him the ideal producer for something like I am the walrus (laughs) yeah you know so but I also think and and this is also something that I I learned a bit more of from Ken Womack's book with Jason Mm. Krupa that when George was doing all things must pass he really George Harrison developed a mind for exactly what he wanted in these songs what instruments to be played Not only that, he developed the mind for which musician he wanted (laughs) Mm -hmm. to play each instrument. You know, if you got several piano players, how is Billy Preston more ideal than Gary Brooker or, you know, he developed this mind for all this and how the whole arrangement would be put together. And that all comes from the education that they had in, in their years with the Beatles
0: right and it, and it seemed like it was a really the education that really stuck with them because then by the time what 68 comes around they're they're forming apple and then they're also now producing other acts and 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 having success you know paul with with mary hopkin you know having success with her album having a number one hit and then a number another a, a number two hit you know right back to back with uh you know these are the days and and, and goodbye and then what later on that year having another other uh, hit with with bad fingers come and get it so he seems to be moving he seems to be having more and more confidence as he's going along but sometimes I think because he may have that that George Martin in his back pocket to where maybe he can call up and ask for some kind of advice from time to time but even though he was on such a hot streak I don't know if he was asking for anybody's advice at that point in time in his career because you know like I said I mean he was the hottest thing since sliced bread at that point in time Going on to his his solo career now, He's producing himself just like you know John and and George are kind of with with the help of Phil Spector. Paul comes right out of the gate, produces his own album, which you know I think it's a very beloved record McCartney, mainly for the fact that it's got Maybe I'm Amazed on there, and but it's it's kind of you know not really fully realized. But again, you're starting from basics like like we've talked about before with Paul, beginning, leaving his band, going through his depression, coming out of it, and then by the time he gets to ram i think he's fully out of it uh, and then he's pro- produced this record which i think is the record i think we were expecting first you know from from paul and not necessarily you know mccartney but do, i mean do you guys agree i mean ram just feels more like it's kind of a, like a beatle-ish record in a way do you agree can i love i love ram of go, course it's
3: my, it's my favorite mccartney right. album now you know right. but um i think you know, this is an old cliche, of course, right. but I think "Band on the Run" was the album more expected from Paul, right, I think, at yeah. the time, right? Kit,
2: yeah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, uh, particularly when you listen to McCartney,
4: hmm.
2: um, how he would go from, you know, what he was doing with the Beatles, and and yes, you would expect, and I I can imagine, and I know it's been talked about uh, out of needham that when i when mccartney came out it was such a shocker i'm sure to people because it was <laughs> so stripped down i mean it it sounded homemade right. i mean it yeah. was it was the opposite of you know he what he would have done with, right. with george martin um and yeah ram was probably more you know of of what would have been expected although to me even though it definitely had um you know more production to it more instrumentation and and all um, you know it still though has kind of a um you know well i mean today it's called one of the first indie records right. you know it's right. it's mm. a, it still has that kind of homemade quality right. uh, in a way to to me maybe it's because of the subject matter and and uh, you know so it still doesn't sound like a, a slick you know, record to me, uh, as opposed to man on the run, you know, to me, like that, I have to agree with Joe, like that was probably more what people expected, Mm -hmm. you know, because that sounds like, you know, he took notes from uh, George Martin, and that's what he would come up with.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, so, then you have Jeff yeah. Emmerich there as well, you know, yeah, right. guide the mm-hmm. way. you know. Yeah. but, you know, to be fair, you know, the Ram was credited to Paul and Linda as right. producers, even though, you know, we're not 100% sure, you know, how mm. much Linda did in yeah. the producing chair, but, uh, you know, Ken, you know, early on, you know, he's finding his way as a producer and it just seems like, you know, he's on such a tear that it's, it's, it, it just doesn't really feel like he's struggling at this point in time. And he's just got so many ideas. I mean, the songs are flowing out of them. And, and now as these time goes on, these albums that were, you know, that were trashed by critics now are seeming to be reevaluated favorably as, as we mentioned.
1: Well, I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with people these days, whether you call it a trend or not preferring simple production right. and not polished and not slick. And so they're finding an album like McCartney or Ram, which, you know, Ram was certainly a much more serious effort overall, mm. yeah. but yet there was a stripped down feel to it. And then there were songs that had, you know, very, a very produced sound like Uncle yeah. Albert Admiral Halsey Backseat. or The Backseat of My Car. Right. Both those songs, he used George Martin there for orchestration. You know, so like you said, he had George Martin there in his back po- pocket when he needed him. Right. But at the same time, the songs were more fully constructed, the more, more realized works. Right. Some of the songs on the first McCartney album, while they have definitely a certain charm to them, and there's no doubt I love a lot of those songs, like Every Night and John. Yeah. some of those songs can sound like unfinished songs, like that would be something, for mm-hmm. example. Right. Um, whereas everything on RAM, in terms of just the composition, sounded like complete songs.
0: Right. Kenan, I'm glad you brought up that you know a lot of these songs were, were already fully realized before you he brought them into the studio i mean we you hear these bootlegs because that's going to come up you know a little later on as we're talking you know with him being produced by others you know and whether or not he needed these producers because a lot of these songs were already fully realized to begin with and but you know now joe i mean with the success coming in now so you know with starting with red Rose speedway um hitting number one all the way up until you know uh mid 70 with or mid 76 with with um or late 76 i should say with with wings over america i mean I, in a way it seems like he could do no wrong he's he's producing all these records he's getting a lot of says this is, is going to go down as his most successful period as a solo artist um you know in his career um you know you think about these do, do these albums to you get feel like they're they're getting more slicked or or more produced as as time goes on or i mean what do you think about these records as 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 time goes on and paul is a producer at this time Well, yeah,
3: certainly in retrospect, you know, I think you can hear that they get a little more slick. I'm not still not the biggest fan of Red Rose Speedway, although it has moments there. And I just thought of my love, of course. And I thought that's kind of maybe what they were expecting. And I think that was the first thing, maybe arguably that they thought, oh, this is this is more like what we thought. Mm. You know, I'm talking about, you know, the people that wouldn't let the Beatles go. At the time, and it's like, oh, you know, I don't want to hear a cream of or, uh, you know, <laughs> um, uh, what's the other one? I'm trying to think of good examples. Uh, maybe Monkberry Moon Delight, <laughs> something like that. Well, it sounds like Oh Darling was a screamer. Right. But seriously, um, yeah, so I definitely think it was getting more slick. And, uh, but, you know, to me, I, it's funny, a show like this gives me more of a chance to think about a subject. Because mm-hmm. to me, I always think of producing, and I know I'm wrong, but I always thought that well, that's basically how a, a sound is. Like a producer gives it a sound. Like I'm thinking, like the wall of sound with Phil Spector, for example, um, or George Martin, what he brings to to songs with orchestrations and it's more, I don't know, kind of a more full, I don't know, Sterling sound. But it, which we'll get to later. I'm going to save it, you know, because you'll go down that road. I'm sure, you know, I realize it's not just the sound, it's also challenging somebody or maybe like the material itself, where to to take that. Um, It's funny, I'd mentioned George Martin before with Please Please Me. So, you know, it happened even in the Beatles days where somebody might say, well, you know, this is an interesting demo or something, but what if it was a little faster or slower? I don't want to get ahead too much, but like riding to Vanity Fair or something like that Mm. uh, much later on for Paul. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Slicker. Yes, for sure. I think a little bit more at a time, uh, Mm -hmm. beginning with, yeah, the, the songs on Red Rose Speedway and then culminating in Band on the Run.
0: Right. Because Ken, you know, we, we, we hear stories about him having confidence issues, you know, during this time as well, but yet he's having all this success. I mean, he's, he's producing, you know, great albums that are going to number one. Right. But yet you know i don't really understand these confidence issues but then come you know 79 he's bringing in another he's bringing in a co-producer with chris with chris thomas and which i think will start this kind of trend with him getting this like it producer for a specific type of things we know yeah. that you know chris thomas had you know they had history together as well you know but he also has history with you know working sex pistols and in in that you know that that punk genre that he's now competing against
1: yeah, well, first of all, I've said this before, but there's a huge difference between commercial success mm. and uh, critical success. Mm. And the general public, you know, from the McCartney album on, the first right. McCartney album was a number one album right. in the U.S. Right. His albums didn't struggle. You right. know, when you hear like wildlife only went to number 10, there are artists who would kill to have a number 10 album. <laughs> that was That was the least successful that Paul had. So mm. I think maybe... You know, that's something that was under his skin all these years. If you're talking about lacking confidence, he Mm. would he would pay attention to what the critics have to say. But then again, look how the public responded. They loved his music then. And I I would never really I kind of disagree with you, Joe, about his sound getting slicker. It still sounded very much like a band. It didn't sound very polished, even, you know, it was more focused. What he was doing with Band on the Run and Venus and Mars and Speed of Sound and very consciously trying to have hit records but I don't know if I would necessarily call it slick you know there's a certain sound that Paul developed all his own um, in the 70s that is distinctly his sound and I think sometimes and this is jumping the gun here but I'm sure we'll get around to this When I heard McCartney three for the first time, it's like the first album in ages that he's produced entirely by himself. And Mm -hmm. it sounds refreshing because she's so Mm -hmm. used to other producers working with him and their influence Mm -hmm. on his albums. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of people look back on the seventies, not just because of the fact that he had the commercial success, but these days production production seems to matter a lot to Beatle fans. That's something that I've really discovered and doing the podcast shows and, and reading um, all these threads on, on uh, Facebook pages, Beatle pages, uh, uh, how people prefer simpler production. They prefer Paul's demos with Elvis Costello right. over the yeah. finished, finished versions that yeah. Paul put out himself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, <laughs> there are people who say that these days. the people that like stripped down of double fantasy more than double fantasy as it came out whether this is a trend or something that's going to stay i don't know but in the 70s his sound was far more simplistic Mm. i don't mean that in a bad way there are people who just prefer it that way Mm. you know
2: yeah i i yeah i i mean maybe you know, maybe slick is, you know, because maybe when you say slick, it, it has kind of this negative, you know, connotation, you know, maybe polished, you know, very polished is, is maybe the, the that is a, another phrase uh, you can hmm. use. Because I I know what, hmm. you, what you're saying, Joe, because. It, like
3: one more kiss. I don't know. What would you call that? Like something like that. It's a little yeah, more. Yeah, because.
2: Uh... Though, wow. You know, those those records, uh, you know, in the 70s, I mean, as, as Tom said, that period where, you know, he could just practically do no wrong and just had hit after hit. I mean, you know, silly love songs, let them in. And, you know, I mean, those those were well produced records. And mm-hmm. he, you know, and he was and, and nothing wrong with this. He was consciously, you know, creating hits. I mean, you know, and he was consciously crafting, you know, these songs. They were catchy. Um, and, uh, and they were well-crafted and they stuck in your head and he produced them in a way they had this nice full, you know, full sound, um, you know, had great, uh, great riffs. Um, you know, some of them had, uh, you know, in the later years, um, some, you know, like with a little lock or something like that, you know, had some, uh, you know, nice keyboard, uh, to it, uh, you know, that, that just, you know, this layered kind of keyboard sound that you could you know, they, it just really stuck with you. And as I said, just had a much fuller kind of sound than his earlier uh, productions did and just had this, this very polished sound and, and not saying that in a negative way at all. Mm. Um, but it, it really differed from his earlier stuff. And I just feel like if you listen as the years went on in the seventies, it got more and more like that. Um, with not maybe every single one of the songs, but a lot of them had that that right.
4: kind
0: of you know polished fullness uh, to mm. it, right. Yeah. And, and Ken, you brought up something interesting too, about, you know, him being focused, um, during that, that, that time. And, but I mean, we got to remember back in 72 when, you know, during the Red Rose Speedway sessions where there maybe there wasn't a lot of focus there. I mean, who brought in what Glenn Johns to produce that record and he mm-hmm. was leaving because he just thinks that the band's not serious enough, uh, to record. So, you know, he goes through all throughout 72 and, and early 73, finally getting you know what was to be Red Rose Speedway together you know hoping to have a double album but then having to get finally you know you know hunker down get serious and, and, and put a record together and that will be the same thing going in then with with late 73 you know losing a couple band members now going to a strange another country to record and then you know bringing out what is going to be the album that he's probably going to be remembered for right <laughs> um, so so then it, it goes to show like what john had once said right joe about you know paul will make a great album when he gets when he when he gets you know scared into <laughs> yeah. it right or something like that
3: yeah it's kind of ridiculous now looking back on it but at the time i think it was pretty apt hmm. you know it was at the time you know i'm sure you know, now it was kind of ridiculous i think we're
0: looking back on it
1: right i think it's, that applies sometimes with him with him he's made sometimes. great albums when right there was no pressure on him right to make a great i album.
0: agree right there because yeah. i was yeah i was going to bring that up a, a, as well um you know so the instinct thing you know with, with when it comes to ban on a run here's this big finally um album that again that he's the producer of it's it's uh, goes to number one three times in 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 the states mm. and it's it goes so well that he doesn't have to doesn't release an album in 74 just a single um so again you know a lot of a lot of success is coming in and in, in here um he's finally getting that critical success that now uh, ken like you talked about with with band on the run so you know right now i mean you've got not only is he one of the most successful acts out there right now you have to maybe consider him one of the best producers out there now at by this point in time maybe well-
1: you know i i love his production don't get me mm-hmm. wrong but i think that the reason why paul sold a lot of records was not only the fact that it was at a time when radio played him right but also because the songs were strong right you know that's that's the main difference right, right. there when well. people went and bought Ben on the run they didn't necessarily think wow what a great production or or when they heard Helen wheels or jet they weren't just saying that's a great produced record they liked the song first the song always comes first and i just think that he came up with the goods for ben on the run and had at least in the u.s three major hits from there right whether or not you think he could have done the same thing i i always wish we talked about this before there's a lot of solo beatle albums that either didn't have any singles or only had one single And, you know, Red Rose Speedway only had my love. And maybe Mm -hmm. there could have been another hit from there. Who knows? Maybe Big Barn Bed would have been a single, but he already had live and let die about to come out, so he couldn't put out another single from Red Rose Speedway. So it just so happens. Yeah. And live and let die. Now, now, (laughs) that's a great song, (laughs) but you can certainly make the argument. That's a great produced record, too. Right. Yes.
3: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's a good agreed. point with that because I was going to say when we're coming into the show, you know, I'm thinking, well, we're gonna do a show on like, uh, you know, who do you think is the best producer? Is Paul better when he produces himself? I just like the darn songs, right? <laughs> that's what I was how I was gonna come in fighting. I was gonna say, yeah, what Ken just said basically. I don't care really, as long as the song is good. Now sometimes a certain production does help a lot. I and mean, Ken just was mentioning about "Live and Let Die," you can tell. There's a little Mm -hmm. oomph there and George Martin influence. And as I, I, you know, I used Phil Spector before, so distinctive that if he does a a wall of sound type of thing, if you like that kind of style as I did, um, it really accentuates it, makes it makes it uh, all that kind of sound with the, you know, the Ronettes and all the work that Phil Spector was doing in those days is his sound. And Mm -hmm. it enhances that music. Um, sure. So, I don't know if it's the same with Paul, though. You know, with Paul, I'm thinking, I just want to, you know, if I like the song, I, it doesn't matter to me who produced this album or that album. Although, in some cases, some of the producers push Paul more, which right. is the advantage. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, we'll get to that too, you know, because then you have the case where, you know, also, he's also creating this, this new sound, this wing sound that he knows and he can, who's going to produce it better than Paul. I mean, he knows their sound and what, you know, what he, how he wants it, the, how he wants it to sound. Now you flash forward to, to 80, 80, late 80, 81, he's bringing in George Martin to produce, you know, what was, you know, thought to be the next Wings record that turns out to be, you know, a a, a McCartney record and now he's you know being produced by someone who he obviously he trusts you know in in george martin and you know uh, the results are critically and and um um commercial thank you successful and uh now he we find him reinventing himself as as a solo act uh kit
2: uh, and, you know, and that is one of my favorite albums uh, that that Paul ever did. I And I think uh, part of it was, as you said, the comfort factor that uh, obviously George had known him a long, long time. Uh, they had worked together so well. But and and this is something that uh, I'll be bringing up a number of times as we go into the 80s, 90s and, and beyond. Um I think Paul does benefit uh, from having a, a producer slash collaborator, um, mm. you know, because it, you know, somebody to bounce ideas off of and sometimes somebody to edit him, mm. uh, somebody to, you know, say, I don't think that song's going to work or, or needs to be cut down, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, and, and this, is, this is a great example of, of that um now it doesn't always work <laughs> perfectly um, you know pipes of peace didn't right. work out quite as well that way but but tug of war was just uh, you know so beautifully arranged uh beautifully produced i mean you know wanderlust to me mm. is is the mm. perfect example of the two of them working together um you know, with uh, Paul's lyrics and, and melody and then George helping him execute that song. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think I don't know if Paul could have done the same thing just by himself um, mm. and not not insulting True. him or anything. Okay. Uh, right. But I, I just wonder, you know, because I just think George really got it. Right. You know, got yep. what he was trying to do. And so I, I just um, yeah. I, I think, you know, Paul could really benefit
3: working with someone.
0: Right. And well, I, and
2: so I'm,
3: George, George Martin's mm-hmm. all over that album. Yeah, he oh, sure is. I think around that time, I mean, it, gives it, it gives it, you know, its own sound. Everything you said was spot on, I think. Kit. But I remember, I think it was from around this period. Where I remember an interview with George Martin when he was working with Paul. He says, you know, I told him uh, either, you know, this song is great. This song is lousy right well this song <laughs> could be great right. if you do this or that and i love that when paul's open to that he's not going to take a lot of that from too many people but george no. martin he's he one will, of those yeah. people uh,
0: that he trusts and he will listen yeah. to yes but as we you know as we'll find out in, in you know later on in the show i mean it doesn't always work um with every producer <laughs> you know and um but yes I know where you're going. (laughs) But but Ken, you know, as as George Martin, as his producer again, you know, and coming off so hot with with Tug of War and then the next two albums maybe not doing as well. Do you think it's something that they maybe should have again taken their time? Maybe, you know, a year in between the albums. I know Paul had a lot on his plate, especially because he had the movie going on at the same time. You know, maybe it was a little too much at once. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about that whole period? Uh, well, you know, working with George,
1: as we discussed, not only during this time, but so many times when Paul makes an album, he has enough for two albums, right? So he tries to work the extra material in some other way, whether it's bonus material uh, B-side. singles, mm-hmm. or it makes the next album. I love a lot of Pipes of Peace, but it's nowhere near as great an album as Tucker War. But um, yeah, he should have taken a little bit more time if possible. But then again, he also had to think about a soundtrack for Broad Street in addition to making the film. Mm. So I did want to say, and you guys have have pretty much said this, but it it can't be emphasized enough. And this is my own personal opinion. When it comes to songs that require orchestration on Paul's songs or brass, there is nobody better. Than right, george martin george. he it. knows he has just the right touch he knows what instruments to be brought in how it should be mixed and this is not only just with the Beatles stuff live and Let die tug of war album later on a few isolated examples here and there like some days for example um beautiful night songs like those when george martin's used he has just the right touch he knows what to bring but we also said that the songs come first. And the reason why tug of war is a better album than pipes of peace is first and foremost, the songs are better.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it all comes well, the-
1: down to the songs and you can still have George Martin on the songs and pipes of peace, but if the songs aren't as good, it's still not going to be as good an album.
4: Yeah.
3: See, I, 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 I've always considered pipes of peace with few exceptions that I that I really like a lot. More or less, it's a harsh term, but leftovers. I mean, the ones that didn't make the first cut for Tug of War, let's put them out also. But some of I you mean, great songs on there as well. Pipes and mm. Bees uh yeah, so say, bad say, for say. me i know through our love mm-hmm. is a favorite for a lot of people right. um yeah there's there's good songs on there but to me some of them i'm like yeah the ones that maybe maybe they were the ones that george bought the first
0: time said you know mm-hmm. yeah. no i don't know about that one yeah mm-hmm. so. <laughs> right well um we, we talked about you know that they're now in '84. You know, they're they're ending their relations. They're producing relationships. I think it was George Martin who suggested Eric Stewart uh, work on their their next um, the, or Paul's next album, and then he is brought on. And I think there there was a there was definitely some friction there or or miscommunication there. And then Hugh Pageham is brought in. And this really starts the trend where we're getting the the producer, the it producer, or the, you know, the hot producer and Paul maybe now following trends rather than making trends. I don't know if all of you would agree with that or not. But, um, but if you listen to, you know, those demos of press the play, and then you listen to the, 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 final product, I mean, you really get a sense that it, it I mean, it went into a really, kind of went into a different direction once Hugh, um, you know, stepped in and, and became the, the, the producer. And, uh, I don't know if this was a match made in heaven <laughs> if, or, not, or not seeing that they hadn't worked together again after this, but, uh, but Joe, I mean, you've always been kind of, uh, Vocal about this album, press to play, and I know a lot of people are very vocal about the production of this, and I know it drives Ken a little crazy sometimes. But, uh, but Joe, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Joe. Well, I've
3: always maintained for me that I just don't think the songs are—I uh, mean, with some exceptions again—are as as good as as the other songs, other albums that uh, could have been on there. I think that's mostly it. I don't have a problem. With the production per se on this for me. I know a lot of people do right away, they go after the production on press to play. Oh, 80 sound, drum sound, whatever 80 whatever sound is. I like 80 sound. I just am not too wild about the album overall, okay. with some exceptions. But uh, yeah, I, I think Paul uh, was trying to sound current at that time, which is interesting because you were mentioning that, to, uh, Tom. He said, Is he trying trying to like, uh, he used to do what? Set the trends now. Maybe right. he's following the trend. I think right. he wanted to get uh, somewhat involved in the sound of the times, and that's what's going on. And right, Hugh Padgham, we is had that, isn't that the famous story, right? The exact right. quote, yeah, where um, he was like trying <laughs> when to did tell you write Paul, your last number one. What, <laughs> he said, <laughs> Yeah, Paul turned around, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. How many hits have you had or something? Yeah, something something to that <laughs> But to um extent. yeah, How something it's... to that effect, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, what can I say about it? You know, it's it's not a favorite. I, I really didn't like it at all when it first came out. I remember listening to it and other than other than maybe uh press and even that because it was the video enhanced that for me, I think made me really like that song by watching right. the video a bunch of times. I just, it took me a while to really warm up to it at all. And I would play that every now and then I'd come back and then only love remains. Of course I, I started to love that one right. and right. a few other ones. Uh, but overall, I don't know. We have to, we went through this thing. Like we, we did a show on press to play. If you look back a ways uh, and uh you know, it's still not going to be one of my favorites, I don't think, but I like it better than I used to, or should I say dislike it less than I once did. Right. Um, but I just want to emphasize, you know, again, that for me personally, I don't think it has uh, much to do, if at all, with the production for me personally, like it does to others. Right. You know, I yeah. don't care for it.
0: I remember, you know, press coming out and and watching it video, hearing it on the radio and never really getting a sense that, oh, my God, this is Paul doing 80s music. I never really got that, you know, that sense because, I mean, at that time, I mean, that was like my time, you know, really listening to a lot of music, you know, 14, 15, 16, listening to a lot of current music and older music. But I never really got that sense that uh, this is Paul doing. Why is he doing if this? If I can interrupt, well, what about yeah, the it press
3: itself where it has what sounds like I don't know the record? Thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know exactly, they, yeah. The scratchy. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That's, yeah.
0: That's no, what, yeah. that was
3: uh, what was going now,
0: on. Right. Now, when I heard so, uh, Spies Like Us, I kind of got that feeling a little bit you know but then when i heard you know more of press the play you know maybe like a pretty little head maybe talk more talk you did get a feel you know that he was trying to sound like the you know the artists of that time that were you know coming up with the big hits but i know as the album as a whole i don't think it's really that you know big in 80s production ken
1: well thank you for saying that tom
4: (laughs) because um
1: you know Certain albums get a reputation and Press to Play, I think, has been unfairly maligned. <clears throat> right. Um, this idea of having 80s production. Yeah. The few songs you mentioned, Press, Talk More Talk, Pretty Little Head. Um, also, the the other version of It's Not True that's on the CD, the very heavy mm-hmm. drum sound on right, that. Right. But there's a lot on there that when I hear it, I don't think 80s right. at all. Um, the majority of the album, I don't feel that way about. It's just mm-hmm. a few select songs, but I don't see anything wrong with trying to sound contemporary if you happen to enjoy the sound of that time. And I think that Paul still listens to some current music, looks for producers whose work that he likes. It tends to be the hot producer of the time. Right. Um, you know, I don't see anything wrong in trying to capture some of that sound because nobody knows how how that sounds going to be viewed later on. I don't think it sounds dated because I listen right. to 80s music all the time. What about when when Paul did Back to the Egg and he had Chris Thomas there? Right. Yeah. And, you know, people were saying he was striving for trying yeah. to get the punk sound punk sound, right. which he did on Spin It On and, and To You, maybe Old Siam, sir. It's not a f- full punk album. Right. It's not a punk I wouldn't record. call it right, that. Right. There's yeah. a little bit in there. Yeah. But what's it's the same thing. It's, it's a, it's a sound and a style that was popular then. And Paul's hearing it. He's liking it. He's trying to mix that into everything else that he
0: does. Right and it's funny that that happens you know one song will come out and then all of a sudden it'll get this reputation like um like kiss for a matter of fact with the song i was made for loving you mm. you know all of a sudden now that album dynasty now that's on that album dynasty is a disco record when that's the only song that has anything <laughs> you know yeah, no. disco sounding about it you know it's a matter of fact it's a very hard rocking album you know but but because of one song it just changes the whole narrative you know on on that album so it's it's kind of you know fascinating how how you know and but but airplay again you know it's that's all about the airplay and and where is it if it's getting played in studio um was it 66 or what is that famous 54 uh, 54 yeah you know if it's played there you know and all of a sudden now everybody's gonna think it's a disco record you know but um can i just say one
1: thing on on this topic yeah since we just talked about you know the the second half of the '70s with Ringo. Anytime you hear people bring up Ringo the fourth, it's his disco album. Right,
0: right, yeah. <laughs> he
1: had "Drowning in the Sea of Love" on there. Right. Name one other song that you would definitely call disco. Right. There's danceable stuff, but it's Can't not. she disco. do it like
3: she dances? Maybe. No. That's not. Disco. Well, I mean, what if that's not if that's not a disco album, what what is? It? It's not. <laughs> it's not a disco album. Not every I, single track is disco. No, that's true. No, uh, that, no, the only song yeah.
1: that I really would consider disco is "Drowning in the Sea of Love." Right. It's a little bit maybe in um simple love song. Right. Maybe. the, the B-side For wings and drowning in the sea of love, just a dream has a disco feel to it. But Mm. you've got nine songs on Ringo the Fourth, and only one of them would I even really consider to be disco. Right?
0: Yeah, Disco Ringo. (laughs) It's not a disco album. Right. (laughs) I, I, so I think you know press was, was probably a, uh, press to play was probably a disappointment for Paul critically and commercially um, when that came out then you see him you know before before press to play he works with David Foster for a couple songs who again is you know he brought Chicago back to back from the dead you know how none of these songs then now don't see the light of day until later on is, is a shame and then now after press to play you know now he's working with Phil Ramone who is also now another, you know, very successful producer. And only one song sees the light of day from that in uh, Once Upon a Long Ago, which then is only a UK, um, UK mm-hmm. single, which, you know, again, I think that was his last top Top uh, ten in in the UK. So again, I think this is a kind of a period where he's not having a lot of confidence in himself, maybe. And now we've got the longest stretch at that time in between albums, '86 uh, and then '87. You've got um, you got all the best '88. Then now you've got uh, a, you know a rock and roll, and then you know '89. There was in between '86 to '89. You know, Ken, out from from with new material that's probably as long as stretch at the time without any new, you know what I'm saying here in the right. States, you know? So, I mean, is, is there a, is there a struggle with confidence now he's bringing f- even more producers to help him out on his latest record, you know, working with Elvis Castell to finally get his groove. Ken, I know you want to say something. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: gives you that idea? Right. I'm trying to figure yeah. out, yeah. you know, I don't know for sure if his, if there was a lack of confidence, I just know that, Throughout the 70s, for the most part, he produced everything himself, with a few exceptions with George mm-hmm. Martin and Chris Thomas. And then once the 80s came along, he started thinking, you know, maybe it's time that I let somebody else have some input. Who should I work with? And then he had the comfort factor there with George Martin. Mm-hmm. So then he started thinking, well, who should I turn to now as a producer? So we started to experiment with the hottest producers of that time. And... Um, I don't see anything wrong in doing that. I don't know if that's necessarily a lack of confidence. Maybe he wanted to see how he could fit in in the 80s.
0: Yeah, maybe. But Um, but when you're working with a hot producer, nothing comes out of it. You know, I mean, how can you not have expect? Okay, maybe it's not his best work. You know, which is a shame because I love this house. We were married, which you know, which later came out. And then um, um, I'm drawing. Oh, Lindiana, you know, was the third song, song, and you know, yeah, and those, yeah. I mean, good songs, you know, but nothing comes of them until '89. You know, until we finally got. Well, you don't know, you
3: think Broad Street had a lot to do with Paul Paul's feeling? I mean, he was doing pretty good over overall up to that point. Then when it it got to, to be a flop, you know, by his standards, uh, you know. Um, but then it, part it of that, a,
0: too, is studio not helping promote or he, maybe him thinking that the label's not helping, prom, you know, push what, the or Broad promote Street those. Movie? No, the, the songs. Well, I'm
3: talking about the film. I mean, the Broad Street was a flop. And this is how I see it at the time, too, and, and now remembering it. To me, I see it, you know, for me anyway, there was that. I don't know, but not everyone agrees. There was a, a down slide for him, for, for Paul, I mean, because he was always doing success, always experiencing yeah. success. Right. Now you're going from the failure of Broad Street. Took It took until 89 to 90, and even then, I think it was the touring that really brought him, that's what brought him back, you know. Uh, you know. I know a lot of people love uh, Flowers in the Dirty album. Ken's your favorite uh, It's
1: my album, favorite. Think, but, yeah. But, yeah,
3: but but. but, that, but, that, but That's when he reinvented himself.
1: right? Uh, I I don't know. I I just think that after Broad Street, he did so much work. And like you said, Tom, a lot of it, the Phil Ramone stuff, David Foster stuff didn't come out. I don't know if Paul. Yeah, I think we do know. Paul is not always the best judge of his own work Mm. and what should come out. But, um, you know, I, I definitely am not one of those people who feel that there was this lost period in Paul's career, I think he was very disappointed I at, do. The, the, I feel that at the failure <laughs> of, of the movie, <laughs>
0: right? Um, yeah.
1: Of Broad Street, but at the same time, he still had a top ten single with "No More Lonely Nights" right. to be proud yeah. of, and actually, I, I, I'm not going to try to cover this up because Broad Street as an album, I think it only peaked at number 21 here, but it went to number one in the UK.
4: In the UK. Yep. Yeah. So we sure still is. had
1: some success with that album yeah. in his own yeah. country. So. Yeah. Um, I think he was just trying to find his own way, you know, um, there comes a time when a lot of artists and even George Harrison was saying that he wanted to have somebody like Jeff Lynn to work with so that it would, you know, ease the load off of him. So we could just concentrate on writing songs and the arrangement of the songs and and working on that and let a producer do a lot of the rest stuff, Mm. everything else. So um, I think there was some of that as well. I think right. Paul likes getting feedback. He wants to collaborate with somebody else and yeah. hear what they think might might improve a song. Right. Plenty of times, I'm sure he's disagreed. Right. But you know, I think yeah. he needs that. Right. Uh, so, you know, I yeah. think it, he he really does enjoy working with different producers. And by the way, um, what you said about not working with Hugh Padgham again with the exception of david Kahn, every single producer that paul's yeah. worked with yeah. except bringing back george martin once in a while here and, and he doesn't and work thomas. with and chris thomas yeah. and chris yeah. thomas
0: yeah. yeah yeah no and yeah you got a point there but you know you you mentioned you know the collaborations you know and kit i wanted to ask you you know when it comes to flower and his dirt do you think more producers you know the better or you know how do you prefer like one with Paul co-producing you know I mean what do you think about these multiple producers that he's yeah. had from time to time not not many times but on a couple occasions where he's had many producers on a record
2: yeah I mean it can be a case of too many cooks spoil the broth that's that's very true uh you know it, it it can but uh you know flowers in the dirt I, I was going to mention uh, earlier that that was actually a man may not have been a big commercial success but critically it really was a, mm. a comeback for him
4: right. and
2: um, you know and at the time I mean there were some you know big producers of, of the of the era including uh one mm. of my favorites Trevor Horn right. uh that, mm. that was a he was a great producer of the 80s um and uh, Mitchell Froome he mm-hmm. worked a lot with Elvis Costello, and of course, Elvis Costello, uh, being another. Um, and you know, and I mean, was every single cut on Flowers in the Dirt and a winner? No, I mean there there were one or two that I you know looking sure back, you know, <laughs> but <to> me. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know, and, and, I mean, and really, when it first came out, I I love that album. I mean, mm-hmm. I loved every single track, and you know, and over the years, my you know, opinions, you know, my opinions change on, on certain things. I think for that album, I think it was good for Paul to work mm. with, with different, uh, different artists. I think for that album, overall, it was, it was a good choice for him uh, mm. because, you know, he was coming off. Now, I did like press to play, and I'll have you know, as uh, Joe reminded me today, I'm quoted in Wikipedia.
3: <laughs> <laughs> to play i'll
2: have you know <laughs> uh, that's right so i'm officially an expert what uh-huh. but, <laughs> but um you know he was dealing with issues i think of confidence um mm-hmm. when flowers in the dirt when he was recording flowers in the dirt so i think maybe shaking up his uh working model and working with all these different producers was a good thing uh, at the time and I and I think you know flowers in the dirt was a was a great great effort but would I say he should do that all the time probably not
4: mm. you
3: know because well, I, I liked that, it on that behind you there you got uh, one of my very favorite
0: albums I there. know yeah. He has a lot of
3: producers. Yes. get ahead of myself. Yeah. Right. and
0: I love that album. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: Right, because you know on these <laughs> albums now, Then starting with this one, Flowers in the Dirt, you know he'll have multiple producers which they'll they'll produce, but then he'll also produce a couple right. of songs on his own. Like he, I think he produced three three songs on this record himself. I think it was Distractions put it there, and uh, I think one other track that I'm, I'm uh, forgetting at the time at the moment. But but Ken, I mean you love this record. Too many producers? No. The thing uh, I,
1: we'll go beyond this album here. Yeah. But one thing that I wanted to say is that with the possible exception of Hugh Pagem, every Paul McCartney album, Paul is co-producer. Right. Paul has the final say in everything that goes out. And I've never felt like the producer that he picks that the albums are swallowed in the sound of that producer,
4: yeah.
1: you know? It's not like uh, I'm going to listen to Off the Ground and say, wow, that really is a Julian Mendelsohn production right there. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it still is a Paul McCartney album, no matter what. And it sounds like a Paul McCartney album because all the things that you hear are what we've heard from ideas from Paul's head through the years of what makes sense in his production. Right. Right. So um, maybe a little bit of David Kahn has, has a bit more of his sound production wise, but most of the time, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It has, it's more to do with working on the actual songs and the compositions and making Paul work harder on the songs. Mm. And when it comes to just the sound of Flowers in the Dirt, whether you're talking about Mitchell Froome or, or Trevor Horn or Steve Lipson or anybody else that was involved, Elvis Costello, it's not like you're gonna say, that's definitely a Trevor Horn song. Right. You know, it's still, yeah, that's what
3: I was it's still a yeah. still McCartney track, right? Hey, like, distractions. I would never would. I didn't even know that that was a different. That Paul did that one, and you know, put it there.
1: did the the string part on put it there.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, and then let's move forward to um to flaming pie because now here's a record where he brings in okay i mean listen jeff lynn has a lot of success as a producer i mean you know you can't go wrong i mean co-producing those traveling wilburys co-producing the the george harrison stuff the full moon fever um you know a lot of success at the time and then now ken you had also said you know a lot of times Paul will come in with these songs fully realized which are mm-hmm. or, or pretty close to being fully realized which is the case for I think Flaming Pie which we got to hear with you know with the box set so then I you know so when I hear songs like this you know that early being so realized I, I argue why do you need to bring in a Jeff Lynne you know what I mean when these songs are already almost as is on the record i mean and then plus you know when you bring george lynn george jefflin in you tell him look i don't want your slick productions out of here i just want to make <laughs> you know my record you know so again i think that you, you you gotta see maybe he's still not trusting his instincts maybe but again like you say though Ken you know he is a co-producer it is he's it's his record he's probably going to get final say but then again you know I say why bring in a producer when these when these songs are already perfect you know almost done as is you know he, he's already produced the the um the Steve Miller stuff right he's already produced the uh, producer code produced the uh, the George Martin stuff so mm-hmm. you know these these songs are were, will it, were well crafted that he did with George I mean with I'm sorry Jeff Lynn already would you agree? Well,
1: yeah. Um, it's you've raised a very good point there, but unless we know with every single song if Jeff Lynne made any kind of contribution to the song, right, and not not just in composition but in the sound of it or whatever, any kind of an idea, we'll never know what Jeff Lynne brought, you know, to that music. But mm-hmm. and I, I've made this point before in in shows in the past that, yeah, you know, Jeff Lynne has a very distinctive sound as a producer, right. But you don't feel that
0: on mm. Flaming Pie. No, you do not. Yeah, it's, it's not, not as pronounced.
1: More, right. Yeah, it's much more subdued. There's no right. traveling wilberry sound on on Flaming Pie. Right. But it's also, you know, he was working with Jeff Lynne there with the Beatles anthology. Right. They I were know. becoming friends. Yeah. Pro- he probably wanted his input. Yep. What he thought about his latest songs. hmm You know, I kind of wish the two of them would write something together. <laughs>
0: yeah. But... uh you know, no, George uh, wrote that on his own. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I said, no, George wrote that on his own. He didn't. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, never mind. I love the sound but, of, 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 of Flaming Pie. Mm-hmm.
3: Again, it's, it's just,
1: another more simply produced album. Right. Yeah, for yeah. The most absolutely. Part. A lot of very basic sounds in there. Once you take away the orchestrations and of something like Some Days and Beautiful Night, it's a more bare album (laughs) you know and a lot a lot of fans dig that and they don't want more polish and you know what we've been what we've been saying here so between that chaos and creation the backyards another album
0: right
1: like flaming pie where it's more stripped down Mm -hmm. you know not a lot of production
0: right so like no you
1: overproduction
0: right. you know. yeah so like you have said ken and you know a couple times now when the songs are great which a lot of these songs on flaming pie are i guess it doesn't matter who produces them because paul's put the work into these songs
2: well right. it, it, and that's true except i think it does it does matter though you know who you know who oversees the the execution of them. I mean, mm. like you know, beautiful night. Of course, he'd been working on it for years, right? For years, mm. and uh, and you know, it, it took Jeff Lynne to help him finally, right. uh, you know, put it out. And and definitely that uh, beautiful night and the world tonight. To me, I knew it was Jeff Lynne,
0: mm. uh, Jeff Lynne production, right when I heard him. Particularly really? the world tonight. It's right. the yeah. The world tonight. It's I can drugs. see. I think I can see that of any song on there would, mm-hmm. would, I mean, I, li- like, I a...
3: like Jeff Lynn production. I like, and I like you know, mm-hmm. the little, sounds sound, sound quote, the uh, cloud nine sound yeah. full moon fever. And mm-hmm. I kind of sense something, something on flaming pie, like you're saying kit that sounds mm-hmm. like that. I yeah. just feel maybe not, maybe more subdued than usual, but it I is, it is feel more feel subdued. on Flaming, flaming
2: pie. Right. Yeah, for sure.
3: Mm-hmm. And you know, when you were discussing flowers
1: in the dirt, that's also an album where, despite having many producers, you can't tell one from the other.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't even know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't I usually follow, don't usually follow
3: producers, you know? Right. <laughs> the, the, you know, George Martin, Jeff, right? Lee, but, uh, right. Phil Spector. Right. Hmm.
0: Well, I don't want to show any David Kahn any disrespect, but I do want to jump over Driving Rain. No, I do want to get into... Oh, uh, darn! <laughs> Well, no, we can talk <laughs> about if another I'm one of his productions sure. here in a, in a second, but, but getting into uh, Chaos and in the Creation, which yes, I know so uh, yes. uh, everybody <laughs> will, will probably consider that it's, it's his best of his later career, you know, period. And because he worked with such a, um, you know, a no, no holds barred kind of producer and Nigel uh, Godrich, what I, what I think he came uh, recommended by George or Giles Martin.
2: I think it was Giles, but I
0: maybe I'm wrong. I thought George, I I thought George oh, was Martin it George? recommended No,
1: I do think it was George Martin. George oh, Martin okay.
0: that recommended Nigel. Yeah. And, okay. sorry. And you know, there's that uh, that double disc um, CD DVD of Chaos and Creation, which has the DVD has the making of, of um, Chaos and Creation. And Nigel and both Paul um, were there talking about, you know, their... The making of the album and them having some some conflict, and then you know him talk, especially talking about a song like riding to Vanity Fair," which you know if you watch that DVD, you'll see a couple seconds of it him strumming on a guitar, and it's a lot it's a lot faster of a song. And Nigel yeah. pretty much saying, "No, this got this song is crap," you know, it's not going on this record. Mm. But then here you have Paul, you know, fighting for it, and then you know doing a you know changing the arrangement, and uh, it I think was it's. The, his best song since the two you know since the beginning of this century you know so you know in that case you know you you see it to where you know Paul you know doesn't necessarily give up the fight you know it's still like you say can his record but but Nigel just you know was able to push him and I don't know necessarily feel like his backup was up against the wall he hit I don't think he had to make a great record or mm. was in that position where he had to feel like he had to make a great record I think it's just a sense where Nigel just kind of like a george martin would push him
1: um would right. you agree yeah when it comes to the compositions
4: yes
0: yeah.
1: that's where you know he makes a difference here i right. was just thinking about you know going back to flowers in the dirt right one of the songs um that day is done mm-hmm. if i recall paul wanted it to have more of a human league feel right to right. it Elvis Costello didn't want that at all right you know so there you have a case of Elvis Costello you know saying no it really should be more like the way that it came out um kind of this very slow dirge three-quarter time song mournful song and it turned out that way but was that that was Elvis Costello's input but I'm just saying that's that's where you need collaboration occasionally as songwriters and as producers and Paul looks for that. Mm -hmm. And I I happen to believe, and I'm saying this as someone who treasures his 70s stuff a lot. You can't just say in black and white, his best music is when he produced himself or his best music is when he's had producers. Some of his best work is when he's done it himself. Some of it's when he's worked with other people. So, um, you know, I do think that when it comes to the actual songwriting and coming up with great material, Overall, I think Paul is better when he has other producers with him. Mm.
4: Yeah. Okay, fair,
1: Kit.
2: Yeah, this this is besides tug of war. I think another great example of what Paul can do when he's produced. Um, when you know when he when he has the right producer. I mean, the, you know, I think he didn't like it. That Nigel Godrich <laughs> really challenged him. Right. But it paid off. I mean, the songs are, are strong. And I think, you know, he did present, uh, Paul presented some songs that Nigel either said, nope, you know, or you've got to work on it. Uh, Paul certainly didn't care for it at all and has not worked with him since. And boy, do I wish they had worked together again. <laughs> but mm. the other thing that's important here is the sound, mm. the sound on this record is I think like none of Paul's other albums it is so intimate it is so I mean it is right up to the microphone I mean it is it just has because the songs are intimate you know they are very personal um you know something like writing to Vanity Fair I mean we had never heard Paul be that you know reveal that side of himself before and and other songs these i mean you could tell he had been going through difficult times and mm. you know so so the the i mean yes it was stripped down production but it was even more than that i mean as i said it was really close up to the microphone mm. and i thought that was brilliant to, mm. to do and and to this day i just feel like it, it sounds like no other paul mccartney record yeah yeah. Um, and so <laughs> i thought the production on this was was just absolutely brilliant and and you know it's just a, a perfect example of what paul can do with the right producer
0: right
1: i think well, that nigel nigel i believe wanted to have a sound that was like the early mccartney mm-hmm. like the first mm-hmm. mccartney album for mm-hmm. example and right. I think he achieved that here, only right. in the sense that overall, song per song, on Chaos and Creation, though it's a perfect album, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know, every song is well constructed there, but yeah. it's very simply produced and, like you said, extremely intimate.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, there's some producers in there that can do something like that. You know, like with Rick Rubin kind of, right. You know, doing that with Neil Diamond, making that. You know, at 12 songs almost like a, You know, it could have fit right anywhere in between 70 and 70. You know, four. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in, in Neil Diamond's catalog. But uh, and I, you know, as, as I we, as I
3: always say when yeah, cast creation comes up, you know, I what I like about it is that Paul. It's another chance for him to be more personal, vulnerable uh he has some pain he's yeah. got stuff some angst that he has to let out too much rain you know for yeah. example is one that comes to how kind of you uh pops into my mind uh, and i like that nigel probably uh, tried to get that out of my I, I always say it's the closest thing we we, we may get to right a plastic ono band john lennon plastic ono band hmm. type album from paul you know and <laughs> even the cover even though you know it's a black and white well it's not a black and white cover covers right. he has. <laughs> but, uh, it's a yeah. dreary and the title chaos and creation you know i i love that too um mm. uh, yeah it's a, it's a standout i mean really especially the more time goes on that album yes like right. kids say it really it really stands out in his catalog and a lot of people are, are starting to pick that out singling it out as a Exceptional album from Paul's later right. career, which now 2005 is quite some time ago. It's just right, amazing. but it's it just is-
2: gotten better with age. Right, it
0: really right. has. Like, it I, mean, I yeah, and it's fascinating too to look at because you know here's Nigel, a, a younger producer, okay, and then now he's working with other younger producers now, and this album sounds completely different than the stuff that he's worked on you know after with completely you know with younger producers as well i mean starting with like new i mean it's a completely different sounding record than let's say chaos is because you know with these younger producers but uh again you're bringing in you know multiple producers i do think this one is a little different than the way in flaming pie whereas i think some of it doesn't all mesh you know as maybe as well as a a flaming pie meshes um 10 i mean what what do you think i mean do do you think that these songs i mean is this like a complete sounding record to you or does it kind of feel like there's different producers on this record when you listen to? on chaos i know i knew oh i
1: knew yeah no No, it sounds very consistent to me okay you know despite the fact kind of like flowers in the dirt was very consistent okay you know i can't tell a mark ronson production from an ethan johns production <laughs> from a giles martin production it all works mm. you know and mm. like i said um you know paul oversees everything so it goes out the way you know he wants it to ultimately right. Right. and it's not that the producers don't have an input and have some influence because they do i think that you know new was for the most part a much edgier album you know, there's a loudness to it. There's some rockers on there.
4: Right. You
1: know, it's it's nothing like chaos and creation in the backyard,
4: right. but
1: it has its own character that way. And, uh, you know, I love it for for that reason. Yeah,
0: and that's the
1: great thing about studying all these albums. You know, new doesn't sound like Egypt Station, which doesn't right. sound like McCartney three. Right. <laughs> you know, they're all very different in their own way. Yeah. And you can find different reasons to like each one of them. Right. And you can depending on your mood, prefer one over the other any given day. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. yeah, I, I hear absolute consistency. And when he has multiple producers on his, on his albums.
0: Okay, Joe, you you've talked very highly of, of new. You know, how do you feel about the you know production on this one? Does is, does it you know? I I think there's a lot of talk when, when this and Egypt Station came out, and like oh, just Paul just trying to appeal to a younger crowd or 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 or, or sound um, you know current. Um, you know, do you get this feeling when you know with these with these this and maybe Egypt Station? Well, as far as new goes, I mean, I really, uh, as I've
3: said earlier, I really loved the album. Um, I feel like it got overlooked once Egypt Station came out. I still think, personally, for me, I think New is superior to, to Egypt Station, but that's mm. all subjective. I like Egypt Station; some songs on there too. But, mm. uh, but as far as uh, different producers, if I didn't know, I don't think I would really, really even realize. And I think it it sounds like the same kind of all the way through too. Uh, if I'm looking hard, and I know the names of the, of the people doing them, maybe I could hear differences. I mean, like, but like Giles Martin, for example, did uh, "I Can Bet," which I really love. I love that mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. And and the underrated, I'm saying, everybody out there, which I like. oh yeah, that's a good uh, track even too. if it was just kind of thought up maybe to be a crowd pleaser and to sing in concert and join in. But then Giles Martin also. Uh, I think produced "Appreciate," which I I don't care much for at all, mm. and that's one of the few, you know, two songs I think "Road" and uh, my two least favorites, "Appreciate" and "Road." But nevertheless, um, see that's what I'm saying. This because Giles Martin, you know, you talk about producers, do they make the difference? I mean, here's two here or three songs by Giles Martin, and I couldn't tell that he did "Appreciate," and I can bet I wouldn't even know know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think "Appreciate," what you said earlier, maybe trying, Paul, well, again, trying to sound more contemporary. And I, and I don't say that as a negative thing, you know, right. at all. Right. Uh, try to bring in some, uh, you know, younger people. I think that was, that one in particular was one to try to appeal to maybe young, younger audiences of the time. 2013, we gotta say that now. Right. Of the time. <laughs> Nine years ago. It still seems like brand new to me. Shoot. But, uh, mm. you know, uh, but, like, I'm just thinking what else, uh, like, Mark Ronson, I, I love the song, New. And I love alligator. He did yeah. those two. Is there yeah. is there a connection? And even though I'm not aware of it, maybe that, you know, subliminally, I, I know that Mark Ronson has a, a kind of style or something because I like both of those songs. Mm. And then Paul Epworth with "Save Us" and "Queenie Eye," two of the mm. heavier tracks that I that I really like on there. Mm. Uh, I like both of those. Yeah, but, no, cool. I forget what you had. Another question that you were asking me besides new. Well, um, it's, it's
0: it's gone now, but, it's, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but uh, Kit, I mean, well, I think I'll, I think i would kind of remember, but between new and and in Egypt Station with all these younger producers, um, you, you know, know yeah, I, I mean. Do you think I don't know if Paul could have done this on, by on, on his own? I th- I think it was a good thing to bring in younger producers at this point in time. Now I don't know if this would work with just any uh, artist of, you. Of, of, McCartney's, <laughs> of McCartney's age. Yeah, but I I think it was kind of brave of him to bring on these younger younger you know contemporary producers.
2: Yeah, I mean I think you know I I commend him for you know trying to stay contemporary and also he and the producer's not going too far. I mean, you know, if he was trying to rap or something, I mean, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, you know, right. I, I mean, leave, you know, don't when he did. Don't give him any
3: ideas. Yeah, well, I mean, you know,
2: when he did experiment a bit with hip hop and all, yes, leave the rapping to Kanye West or whoever you're, you're experimenting, you know, don't, don't do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think these different producers, uh, you know, the younger producers did, you know, Ryan Tedder and, and the others did a good job of, you know, updating his sound, but not having him sound, you know, not, not going too far, mm. you know, and, and, you know, taking him too far out of his comfort zone that it'd make him sound silly. Um, but, uh, you know, was it always successful? I mean, okay, Joe, you brought up for you. All right. Mm. That to me, like, that was an example of, you No, know, I mean, <laughs>
4: I love the middle of it. I, mean, I love, I like I
3: love it. the uh, middle part.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I mean, mean you
3: know I, you. Yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. you make you me know. want to
0: go out and steal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's not everybody was picking on that line like it's a terrible line. No, you it's always, not. I have always talked about like how a common be, thing. I'll yeah, break, borrow, listen, and steal for you. You know, if you go with the video, here you got this young kid singing, you make me want to go out still. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't have a job. I'm sure he <laughs> wants to, you know, steal some money so he can take this Whoa. new girlfriend of his out on a date. You know? That that video <laughs> was creepy on
2: so
4: many oh, levels Oh, I disagree. I, I
0: like but,
2: but that's for another show. Right. That, that'll yeah, be another well, topic: the creepiest right. videos. But uh, <laughs> going back to the topic, um, yeah, I mean, new in Egypt station, both for me, were were inconsistent um in in sound and and in quality I mean just for me uh they they were um and you know is that all due to working with different producers Eh, some of it maybe but I think some of it too as as we've been talking about in the show I mean some of it has to do too with with the songs and Mm -hmm. and uh you know and not all the songs to me were you know were shall we say the same strength
4: you know, let's gotcha. let's put
2: it that way. Uh, so it may have to do with that just as much uh, as as the producers. But as I said earlier, it's not always a bad idea to have multiple producers. It can right. work. Mm. Uh, but um, you know, in those two circumstances, for me personally. I don't think they were successful, but I think it's okay. Uh, In fact, it has worked well for Paul occasionally to work with much younger producers. And I commend him for,
4: Mm.
2: you know, for doing that because in the case of Chaos and Creation um, and Memory Almost Full, we we didn't talk about that as much, um, you know, that that worked out for him. Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, that did end up, you know, changing his
0: sound a little bit for the better. I agree, yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Ken? Can I just add that uh, unlike what you were saying, Kit, I do feel consistency through the different producers of new, which would lead me to believe, same thing with Flowers in the Dirt, that Paul himself must have been very involved with the production.
4: Oh, sure. Because he's got his
1: stamp on there, no matter what. So, yeah. And I think that it's brave of Paul to work with young producers and try to hear what they have to say and and care about, even though it's the sound of that time um, to show that you care about it, that you're that maybe it might be something that might work for you
0: mm-hmm. instead
1: of consistently putting out the same thing. Right. You know, so there are they, a lot of fans out there that don't like change. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, they want know. Their artists know. <laughs> put out the same <laughs> thing over and right. over in terms of the way they write, in terms of their production. Paul is not like that. Paul goes all over the place. Right. But still, no matter who he produces with, there's still a consistency where you know so much of it's coming out of right his ideas no matter what producer he's working with
0: right and and i bring that up because then with mccartney three with him now coming back full circle i mean he's he's producing himself again but then you you get a sense that you know, maybe he's learned a little bit from these younger producers with some of these songs, maybe like a, a "Find My Way" or a "Slide In" or 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 a "Deep Down" or you know, "Deep Deep Feeling." Mm-hmm. That you know, he's incorporating these new styles of producing and into his his, his record now as, as as a producer. But then still giving us you know you know what we know and love about McCartney too. You know, with maybe like a "Lavatory Lil" or you know, "Women and Wives." This kind of songs that we're familiar with 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 Paul too. So so all in all. I mean, I think that he's learned a lot from the people that he's worked with. And then when he, we do get something that he's produced by himself, like uh, McCartney Three, I, I think we see the results of that. And, you know, and I, and I applaud that, you know, yeah. because you know, again, as an artist, you want to continue to grow as an artist and, and continue to create, which, you know, is a shame that some of these acts don't continue to do that, like a Billy Joel or even maybe, a, you, know, a, you know, Barry Gibb, who hasn't really put out much or, you know, Lionel Richie, all these great artists or great musicians that had so much you know to offer but then kind of just just stopped you know, producing. I don't know maybe just because they lost inspiration or what, but here we got Paul, you know, still incorporating new stuff into his albums as a producer um by himself. So I mean, as as we get to come to a close here, I mean, what's the what's the answer? I don't think we actually we're are going to you know, come, there to, is come no to come songs. to a conclusion. And down to that. come to the songs, exactly. And yeah, if the yeah. songs are strong, and it, it really doesn't matter who the producer is i think you know we all can agree that um you know paul had you know his most successful period uh was the 70s i think we can agree that he's on a a really good winning streak right now you know creatively you know so because the songs are strong you know and you know he's a lot a lot of success throughout his entire career whether he was a producer or a co-producer um joe you want to have any last closing uh, well one thing
3: I, i wanted to mention though ryan tedder right i think right. uh yep, nothing for free did. yeah 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 which i love i love that, that that song right you, nobody would think that i would like that song right. i was thinking as you were saying about you always paul in, injects himself into there which i think he, he does i agree with you um in certain most times mm-hmm. and i was thinking to find my way that part with uh uh I don't know. I'm losing track of the way he used to be so. in when well, he does the falsetto, oh yeah, the falsetto. yeah. That, yeah. that's like Paul. That's that's right. Paul. You know, right? Uh, in the middle of it all, but with but the point about nothing for free is to me, I don't. That's one way I don't think I hear Paul. Right? right. You know, it's him, but I don't hear like he's he's putting himself in there so much that really, that song really manages to sound like something unPaul, but it's, but I love it.
0: Exactly. I, yeah. I've told Ken last time I was on his, his show that uh, I've played nothing for free for, for multiple younger, younger people that I've worked with and, and they think it's great. You know, they, they yeah. love it. You know, they they think it's, you know, could be played on the radio now and they would really dig it. Yeah.
3: i wish it was on the yeah. album <laughs> yeah yeah you know, but that, I mean, it's a whole show of yeah. that what's well, on the know. target what would you take
0: <laughs> off? <laughs> <laughs> Put on. yeah kit final thoughts on the whole uh yep and
2: uh yeah there's and people are in the comments saying uh, there is no answer and, and right. that's yeah um and uh you know i i think that uh, you know, he has worked. I mean, he has been his own producer and has been very su- successful uh, there. He has worked success, more successfully with some producers than others, I, I would say. Um, you know, I still think it is important. I mean, the producer can play an important part. Um, right. You know, we've talked about that a bit. I mean, he can change. Like some he days. She. Yeah, can change the sound, can change the, um, you know, can enhance a song i mean you know so i don't want to completely say oh the producer doesn't matter at all i mean that definitely can but hmm. i think it's true that as hmm. you said you know it begins with a strong song hmm. and uh and the producer and the artist build it from there
4: right
2: um, so i think that is as you said something we could definitely all agree on, but but, but um, then
0: again, it also takes a talented producer to realize right. what a good song is. Exactly. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but, and a producer and of quote, is a great and great songwriter. Right. In case you didn't right? right. Exactly. So but there you
3: go. Maybe other people that are not, not as good need right production to sell it rather than the song. Right. right. But all sometimes
1: has, he doesn't know what his best material right. is. Exactly. Exactly. He's proved that
3: time and time. Yeah. That's, that's, for that's sure. very
1: true. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, very you true. You know, I I always like to bring up that um, my love, Paul didn't hear that as a hit.
4: Mm.
1: Wow! And it yeah. was only because uh, Pete that's Bennett, that's right, at yeah. Apple had recommended yeah. that that song become a single. Right. You know, how can someone who has so many ideas in his head, right. can write hit records yeah. on a dime? not recognize sometimes when a certain song is a winner or not mm. and you know there is a blind spot there <laughs> it comes with being this genius that he is right. and it's just like all the shows that we've done and especially you've done tom about songs that he's put on b-sides and C D <sighs> singles that should have been on the albums and you can right. take maybe weaker songs off the album hey, you know I remember on on things we said today, Alan Cozen said that he asked Paul this question about, you know, all this extra material that he has. And and why do you put them on CD singles or whatever? And he says he really doesn't know he likes all these songs. He can't tell what the best songs are. He wants to put them all out. You know, he had a double album ready for Red Rose Speedway. Right. And <laughs> yeah, now you've got all these, you know, new fans who are discovering Red Rose Speedway as a double album. Yeah. Who probably yeah. like it better as a double yep. album. I, than do. Some of I us do like it right. as a single album. Right. You know, it's um, it's so ironic for someone as brilliant as Paul to not know sometimes what a strong song is that he's come up with. Right. But yeah. he's got so much talent oozing out of him which right. shows in all this bonus material that he puts out, but there is no clear cut way of saying what's, what's best. Cause if he's got a great album, like now I'm glad Ram is recognized as a great album band on the run. We all know is a great album. I still think in the seventies, Venus and Mars was a great album. I think back to the egg yeah. is a great album. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Although back to the egg is a co-production, but right. yeah. you know, some of his great work is completely by himself. So much of it is mm-hmm. with somebody else
0: right it's a it's a shame that he's not getting the chance for for singles on you know on radio because we talk about some of some of these songs you know like a new or like a um you know find my way you know they they could be you know successful on the radio these days possibly you know if if given the op if given the chance but you know as ken has said you know we're we're marketing towards you know a younger generation now that did you know that you know they they want to hear the you know either the the, the, girl, the young girl band or or the the young boy band or, or you know the famous rat you know the next new rapper uh, you know so it's just a shame that you know. Generated like, pop. Yeah, these, yeah. These darn kids. Yeah, you know they ruin <laughs> everything today.
4: Get
3: off <laughs> Yeah, but they were but but our parents <laughs> and grandparents were wrong when well, they didn't like Elvis or the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: that's that's kind of true i guess I mean, you know. but i think they came around you know yes. i i you know i think as songs yeah like, they, you know sure. eleanor rigby and yesterday maybe yeah maybe you know, maybe, yeah. you know they, they they get a sense that maybe you know these guys know what they're doing but, <laughs> but anyways but uh so that's that that's that we'll put a wrap on that uh, conversation thank you everybody um kit why don't you start us off and let us know uh how we can get a hold of get a hold of us and uh our contact information all that good stuff
2: absolutely well first of all thank you all for uh, for commenting no. you've left some great uh, great thoughts and, uh, and i'm sorry we couldn't um clear up this mystery for you right. uh, but keep the comments coming right. uh keep those thoughts coming we do read your comments and we thank you so much uh whether you're watching live right now or or you're watching on the replay and please uh, please leave your thoughts uh we we love to to read them and and uh we will respond to them. Um, you can find us on uh, Facebook. You can find us on our website at uh, talkmoretalk.com. You can find us on Twitter at talkmoretalk1. That's number one. And of course, you can contact us at talk at gmail.com. We love your feedback. If you have ideas for topics that uh, you Right. like us to consider send them along once in a while you just may uh, find that your topic might be the next uh, next topic for our show so um and of course you can find us on uh any podcasting platform you can think of if you prefer the uh the audio version of our show and please subscribe uh and of course please subscribe right to this channel right. and uh and as as those YouTubers say, smash that bell. Be notified uh, for future episodes and uh, please subscribe. We can't thank you enough for your support. We couldn't do this without you. Uh, And we also, of course, want to thank Beetle Ed, who runs our show and many of our individual shows on Fab Four Radio. And uh, I think that's everything for all of our, uh, where you can reach us. We're, we're just everywhere. You can't get away from us. Okay, so we'll
0: give you a break for a second, and then we'll get with Joe, and you can tell us what you got going on uh, in your world, Mr. Mayo.
3: Oh, subscribe to be Mr. Mayo, and smash that bell. You'll get notified <laughs> any time that I put something on. Smash it away um and there's nothing really lately beatles or solo beatles related that i've been doing i put on uh store, but the record store videos that i do which is like a re- it's a reality show uh hanging it feels like a reality show it's not meant to be it is uh, hanging out <laughs> at, at my record store with all the characters in there and everything is up. people have been saying when are you going to do one when are you going to do one finally uh it, it, i did one so that's up and uh lately a lot of the Rare records and stuff that I've been finding and spending too much money on, and now I'm paying the price, trust me, because I've been spending too much. Uh, They're not Beatles, some Beatles, but mostly uh, other artists. uh, The old 10 inch records I found a lot of, and uh, everybody from Kiss to Perry Como, you name it, all all kinds of Tom. I'm getting (laughs) into Tom Jones' kick, folks. Wow. I'm, really digging his, I'm really getting into it I don't know if Engelbert or Tom Jones I think it's Tom Jones more for me mm. uh, but, but I'm going all over the place right now So check it funny out people, Mr. Mayo on YouTube
1: right. Funny how people compare Tom Jones With Engelbert because they were yeah, on the same record I, label
4: Yeah the, the, I
1: know, did not
3: Well I, I didn't know they had the same uh, manager I think they had the same manager I found out oh, wow. I think they did mm. Interesting. Uh, you know, so yeah. I mean, now I'm even looking up information. Oh, brother. All, right. So. <laughs> All,
0: All right. right, Ken, let's start. Let's go with you next. OK, a lot of
1: stuff's been happening on my YouTube channel. I've gotten these two guys, Tom Hunyadi and Andy Nichols. I don't know where I dug them up, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they've been on my last two shows and they've both been on Paul McCartney. We did a show on what we feel has been paul's creative peak in his entire career beatles Mm. through today Mm. and that was a great show we did and then we did a follow-up show with tom and andy and dylan seavey who's a nashville musician who by the way i never thanked you tom because the only reason i know dylan is because of you because he was (laughs) on your show Mm. he's been a great guest on your show on two legs and he also does the music scoring for the beginning and the end of the show. Mm -hmm. He's really a great musician. He plays drums, guitar, writes, writes songs Mm -hmm. and uh, very insightful on the Beatles. And especially I did a show with him on Ringo's drumming. There's so much you pick up just from what Mm -hmm. he has to say about Ringo as a drummer, from what Dylan hears in his head from, from Ringo's drumming. But um, yeah, we did a show, uh, a follow-up show to Paul McCartney's peak. To top three unreleased solo McCartney songs so far right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that haven't come out on the archival box sets or anything like that. So we all list our top three and also say some honorable mentions there. Mm. And that's on my YouTube channel, Ken Michaels Radio. Hoping to have Kid on this week, and um, we'll see if that happens. Got <laughs> my fingers crossed for that. Yep. Um, also, my other podcast show, Things We Said Today. Uh, We just did a show on our dream McCartney concert because of the fact that Paul's touring. Now um, we all, Darren and I, and uh, Alan Cozen, we listed what would be, what we would want Paul to do today. And it doesn't have to be realistic. Mine is the most unrealistic set list (laughs) of all time. Awesome. You could call it, um, what is it? This never happened before, and never uh. will happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, Excuse me, but... Ken. I have to say this. Did you see, did you
3: notice on Facebook? I think Paul's page. He had, was was it Paul himself or, uh, said. What songs would you like to hear? I saw that on, on Paul's Facebook page. I think I saw that people, too. What what would you like? Yeah, okay. I think I missed that. Mm. I wonder if he's really taking suggestions this time. Well, he has done things like
1: that. Remember, um, Mrs. Vanderbilt was a song oh, that, yeah, was that was voted great. on because it was um, popular in Russia, I think, and yeah. Russians voted on that, in the, in the McCartney fan club there. Mm. So he does listen to suggestions like that. Temporary
3: secretary, maybe also. Yeah, um, that's why he did it. Because yeah. uh, I, I don't. I I like the song on the record. I didn't like the way it translated live too well. Hmm. Hmm. But
1: I think that uh, our listeners would get a big kick out of that show on things we said today, because yeah. we all had something very different that we presented. Yeah. Um, right. So if you can check that out, things we said today, subscribe to that channel, subscribe to Ken Michaels Radio, and then there's my website, KenMichaelsRadio.com, which always has weekly Beatles trivia where you can win one of ten prizes every week. <laughs> and uh, there's a new one that's up right now as we speak: a pair of true and false questions. You have to get them right. There's Mm. books, CDs, DVDs to pick from. It's always a lot of fun to go to the website and check out all the older interviews that I've done. Those are strictly audio that are on the website, Ken Michaels Radio. And uh, that is all.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: (laughs) see what you did
4: there. <laughs> yeah, we saw what you did. Yeah, good job. Good
0: job. Yeah, you know, I did listen to that uh, that show with the, the Dream Set List. You know, uh, Annie and I with, with Dylan did something like that a few weeks ago as well. Just a lot of fun. You know, it's it's just it's just a great fun. You know, wishing that he would do these 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 songs that he's never done before, and um, you know, had a. Fun but do you do it realistically, though, man? I mean, by that is well, no,
3: what he can handle or just well, in, in you general?
0: know, yeah, Dylan wanted us to, but we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> we really couldn't. I mean, listen, he's not going to do no more lonely nights these days no, I, but I what but you, you know what i don't care <laughs> if he can't do it i still want to see him trying to do it you know <laughs> yeah i mean there are songs that i think he can do with no problem like spies like us i think he can do that no yes. problem Absolutely. Could, you know? Girl it's not that Getting vocal. closer. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- those songs aren't that vocally demanding you know or challenging you know so why not Uh, Kit, what you got going?
2: All right, just a couple of quick things. Um, Coming up on March 15th, I mentioned this last time, but it's just around the corner. I'm going to be um, on uh, Ken Womack's Tuesday Night Record Club, which is through Monmouth University. We are Mm. going to be uh, discussing uh, Carole King's classic album, Tapestry. I'm just Mm. thrilled to uh, be going, yeah. I know you'd like that, Ken. Uh, you're going to be uh, talking about the making of the album. We're going to be uh, covering certain tracks. We're not going to have time to get to them all, um, and uh, but we're really excited to be doing it. So that is going to be uh, March fifteenth at uh 7 30 eastern and i am going to uh have the link to register for that on uh our uh, talk more talk uh facebook page my own facebook page uh you can also uh because the link is really long i can't really <laughs> mention it here uh so just uh google uh monmouth tuesday night record club that's probably the easiest and it'll take you right there it is absolutely free uh so uh, join us we uh, love to uh you know, take questions from the audience and uh, it's it's just a lot of fun. So mm. I hope to see you there and uh, also I've started um, a roughly uh, weekly show with uh, someone we all know, Plastic oh. AP, oh. uh who's always he's, he's, he's fun. Uh, we it's, It started from some like conversations we had and so we're doing a series on classic 60s TV and we take a, a show each week and, uh, you know, talk about the making of it trivia and then we take uh, questions from the audience and and you can come on and share your memories of the show we just did one on gilligan's island which was Mm. really fun i had a a great Mm -hmm. time doing it the next one we're doing is lost in space so hey that's one of my favorite shows of all time well there you go you got to join us joe i mean absolutely so uh danger
3: (laughs) danger Warning! Warning! Danger, I know more than danger. he does probably about that show. <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I liked you. Speaking of these shows, I liked that picture of you. I saw. Well, it was a cartoon of you in the I Dream of Genie. Oh, oh, thank yes. you. <laughs> yep, that was
2: another show. That was our yeah. That was one of our oh. shows. So thank you. Yes, I, I gotta know. See that. I never looked so good. So. <laughs> so anyway so it is on uh plastic's facebook page so uh just uh, keep an eye out uh just uh, subscribe to my facebook page or his and we will pop up and uh, you'll just tune in live or if you can't just uh subscribe to his page and you can watch us on there we're going to have a youtube channel too uh, soon so you can see us uh, oh, on there okay. as
0: well okay. so there excellent. you go excellent,
2: excellent. yeah Great. it's a lot of fun
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you, Kit. Um, I'll try to make this as quick as possible. <laughs> um, two legs, you, you know, three as as, minutes. Yeah, we're, minutes. You know, we're, we're busy as always. Um, two weeks ago, we had our episode on Live and Let Die, that wonderful, wonderful track that that Paul keeps uh, keeps giving us uh, during his live shows. But we had uh, Adrian Sinclair, who everybody knows is working on that McCartney legacy with Alan Kozen. And we had uh, Owen Ling as well, who um, has got that uh, George Harrison in the 70s book coming out so you can check that out uh this coming weekend we'll have our our next new episode it's going to be a fan q a so i'm really excited about that that's going to be our first one that we've done like that so we recorded that the other day and that's going to be um coming we have a new segment uh, called things we bought today which i'm really happy about we've gotten (laughs) a lot of great uh, responses i really got to thank joe uh and other people like joe and, and beetle brad and and people like that for inspiring uh you know a show like this because it is pretty much much just you know showing some of the things that we've gotten recently or in the past you know Annie did one uh, a couple days ago where he showed a, a bunch of stuff that he's gotten over the years and that was a really really fun show so um check that out and um that's gonna be uh that's gonna be it but uh, i want to thank ken michaels because that was a lot of fun doing those two shows oh. with you so um we really appreciate you thinking of us uh for 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 that and uh please check out our youtube channel two legs a paul mccartney podcast We've crossed the 950 subscribers uh, yes. list. Yes. Yeah. We're, there. Oh we're yeah. We're there. getting Very ever closer. so closer to uh, that 1,000 goal, and then we'll do uh, the uh, the uh, 1,000 subscriber contest after that. So thank you everybody for subscribing. Thank you everybody for subscribing to Talk More Talk, and it, it's just so wonderful to hang out with you. And your comments uh, are, are great. Keep them coming, and uh, and that's it. So uh, we'll see you in two two more weeks, and uh, I'm sure we're gonna have another another great idea in mind unless you guys have one and you want to give it to us and like 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 Kit said email us your ideas and uh and we'll consider it so for Kittle tool Joe Mayo, ken michaels i'm tom Hanyati saying you gotta pay your dues if you want to sing the blues and you know it don't come easy that's what we were care. talking about paul here <laughs> yeah take care everyone <laughs> talk, more shot more
4: chat. <laughs>